Before we get into this, can we just thank Goddess for how stupid murderers always are? I mean... They're so stupid. They think they're not being stupid. I know. And then they are being stupid, and they're it's so great. Dumb. And then everybody wins. Kind of. Not well, really. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Julia Benzavalli. Hi, Patrick Hines. Bam, lots to get through before we get to the show. Our merch is on sale. Last time I forgot to say, we've got TCO Pride merch. Oh, yes, of course. It's got the Stonewall logo. It's got it's a really cool design made by our friend Jeff Lasseter. Yes. Go check it out, Bam. Yes. I'm hitting the road with Maggie, Lance, and Tim. Yes. We're doing the Maura Murray TCO Live Show. It's so fun. It's so funny. We're coming to places you guys have been asking us to come, so please come and see us. All the dates are in August. It's Florida, Texas, St. Paul, and Atlanta. Yeah. Some of these venues are small. The Florida dates are almost sold out, so if you're coming... Please get your tickets. Florida, you better show up or else. I know. Don't give me another reason, okay? You better show up and see my friends. Thank you. And lastly, your new podcast, Let the Women Do the Work. I forgot to mention last time, you get this in the TCO feed. So oh, yeah. Ten Thursdays in a row. I think we're at like episode four or five yeah. now. Yep. Last one was Gemma Hoskins from the Capers. Yeah. Robbie is in there. Maggie's in there. Yeah. Lori Davis. A whole bunch of people. The lady from Lula Rich. What's her name? Roberta. Anna Vasquez from the San Antonio Fort. It's a great series. Yeah. It's documentary style fan. If you are a big champion of Let the Women Do the Work, which I know all of you are, you want to listen to these episodes because it's documentary-style podcast that's sort of centered around an interview that you did with these people. Yes. But then it's got, like, news clips and a beautiful soundscape made by Jennifer Swatek, our engineer. It's one of those podcasts that if we didn't make it on the network, I would be upset. I mean, I am obsessed with it anyway. Uh-huh. But I, like, would be telling everybody, like, this is my new favorite podcast. Well, that's really nice. I'm really proud. It's I love, love, love working on it. I'm, like, so excited. So please keep listening, and thank you for saying nice things about it. Yeah. And, like, last, 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 join us on the Patreon if yes. you want more GP and me over 300 full ad-free bonus oh episodes we just finished Ani the honeymoon murder I know crazy bananas you guys the twist at the end I'm it's a bananas story I, it's crazy and now we're into wild crime These I know men will I they know. ever stop with the men I, let the men stop doing let the work let the men just stop can you give us like a break I for know, just five seconds we're so Girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Vanished in New Canaan, an ID murder mystery. It's an ongoing mystery that has gripped the nation. Police in Connecticut are investigating the disappearance of a mother of five children. Jennifer is the focus of this story. Whatever happened to Jennifer happened inside that house. In this special, we join authorities scrambling to find Jennifer Farber Dulos. This is incredible police work over 400 pages of affidavits and search warrants. The trail of evidence reveals dark secrets. There were problems lurking underneath. He wanted her to stay with him, whether he had one affair, 80 affairs. Before the case is solved, a stunning twist. I'm watching the news and they're performing CPR in his driveway. The victim here is Jennifer, who is still missing. This is a real crazy one, girl. It's like a 45-minute episode, and they really pack in the twists. Yeah, and I some of these people really need to choose their words carefully. Yes, Diane talking, Diamond I was is here. Say, you guys, I won't talk about this for an hour, I promise, but Diane Diamond is here, but so is Ashley Banfield. Now, these ID murder mysteries usually come with the promise of a Diane Diamond. Of course. And, but, like, she wasn't in the first five minutes. Ashley Banfield really is driving the ship here, and I get to a point where I'm like, I don't know how Diane has let Ashley speak so much. What does Ashley Banfield know about Diane Diamond? 
diamond. The, what has she got on her? There are several times where in my notes I just go, Ashley! I know, I exclamation know. point, exclamation point. I used point. to make martinis for Ashley Banfield at the Capitol Grill Bar when I was a bartender. She's a real nice lady. How does she drink them? It's like a vodka martini with blue cheese stuffed olives. Oh, that's right. The blue yeah, cheese stuffed yeah. olives. How she's great, but she's a little out of control today. <laughs> Can we get into it, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So it's May 18th, 2019. I got a lot of energy. I don't know where it's coming from. You slept very well tonight. I, I mean, did. last night. <laughs> I'm thinking about sleeping tonight. Yes. You're just yes. recovering. You're like all replenished from last night. It's Good crazy. for you. I'm not jealous at all. That's great. That's so glad you feel rested. <laughs> Well, it's May 18th, 2019, East Granby, Connecticut. We're learning about the Windsor Rod and Gun Club, to which I said, of course, A, where's my club? Yeah. But B, it's not this club, because why do we have to have a club where obviously men go for fishing and shooting things? Well, it's actually kind of hard to goog. It's oh, a yeah? private club. There's not a lot of information on it, but an investigative journalist, M. William Phelps, tells yeah. us about the club, and he's like... Tucked in the woods of a very beautiful part of central Connecticut sits the Windsor Rod and Gun Club, a 25-acre spread for the very rich. For the very rich. Like, very period, rich period. I know. There's something, there's a gay bar there with the rod. The Rod and oh, Gun yeah. Club. Oh, totally. Where it's just our new gay bar. Patrick's Rod and Pistol. It's like very, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. Rod and Gun Club, only it's like totally. how we would do it. <laughs> Right? That'll work. So we're at this rod and gun club. These two guys are like out wandering in the woods doing their hunting or whatever. Right. They come across a hole in the ground. Now, a man made hole in the ground, which yeah. they really want to specify. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right? Made by a human, but also disguised very badly. They said that like somebody dug this hole and did a really bad job of like hiding it because it was covered in barbecue grates and a blue tarp, which is just kind of this person's way of being like, there's a hole here. Please don't look at it. Yeah. Nothing to see here. This is all very. Very, very normal. Totally. <laughs> it was six feet long. And inside were two bags of lime. And you know what lime is used for, right? It's to cover up a decaying body. And she goes, you know what lime is used for, right? And I was like, uh, vodka sauce? <laughs> <laughs> but the tone in her voice is very accusatory. I was like, I feel like she and the cameraman are in a fight. Because yeah. she really wants to yell at the guy that they're used to, like, cover up a decaying body. Oh, it's, not, it's not lime the fruit. It's no. like lime the other thing. Lime like Gacy used right. under, his, under his porch. But the way she's like, you know what lime? And I'm like, Ashley, don't take that tone. Vodka sodas. I know. <laughs> Double Vatsads. Of course I know what lime is used for, Ash. And she's like, no idiot. I mean the other kind. She kind of looks like a million bucks. She looks great. But the hunters don't care because right. as one of the journalists says, they go along their merry way. Oh, well, good for them. <laughs> but no wait, conscience. They go along their merry way because, and I quote, you really don't see shallow graves in a place like Which is why this. you don't go your merry way. Am I, I crazy? Know. I just, I like the idea that on the Windsor Hunt and Fishing Club or whatever, whatever. it says like, like the tagline for it is no shallow graves here. Yeah. You really don't see Welcome it in a place anytime. like totally. Happy hour starts at 2 p.m. <laughs> That's one of the drinks, the shallow grave. Oh, dark, but I like it. Yeah. It's dark. It's like a dark rum drink. Look at this. I know. <laughs> Are we in the wrong business or what? It's on May 24th, 2019 at uh, yeah, approximately 11.30 in the morning. Uh, Lauren Alameda, a nanny for Jennifer Dulos's uh, five children, arrives at Jennifer Dulos's home located at 69 Wells Lane. Right away, something just feels off in this multi-million dollar home. This thing that 
rich people do where they call their nannies babysitters? Have you encountered this? No. You were a child of privilege. <laughs> have but you I was an only this? child, so I was hanging out with my mom all the time. I didn't have, I, my, totally. I never had like a nanny or like, I like a babysitter was like, I think my aunt, like we never had anyone. Like, because that's like the... what a babysitter is. When right. you meet these people who like pick up their children from school every day and then like take them on Saturdays and they call them the babysitter. No, ma'am, that's the nanny, ma'am. Yeah, because you're like paying them like a salary, of I hope, course. right? But like rich people like just pretending they're not rich, calling them the babysitter. Anyway, that's what Lauren is. And she, she, <laughs> you okay? I knew someone who called their person their nanny. I hope that's the right word to say. Uh-huh. The help. Like, the, uh, she actually said the help. My God. It was hard. Even, I was like, my friend's mom said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And even then as a kid, I was like, ooh, no, 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 no. We don't say that anymore. <laughs> you guys, listen to this. You know I was raised as poor as can be. Single mom, right? Yeah. When my mom and I went out for dinner once, like when I was in my 20s or whatever, and my mom kind of snapped her fingers at the waiter. <gasps> and I went, mom! And she goes, she looked at me and she goes, oh, Patrick, I've always been very kind to the help. My mother's <laughs> my First poor all, the ass, help. I know. The help. They're at work. <laughs> I know. My mother says I've always been very kind to the help. She snaps. Mom! Yeah, how much are you tipping, Pam? I know. I like Pam has ever paid for a meal in her life. So we learned that our victim is Jennifer Dulos. Yes. And so Jennifer's nanny for her five kids is Lauren. Thank you for calling her by the proper name. Is that the proper name? Who knows? Today it is. Who I know. Who knows? Who I knows? Mean, well. But she gets to the house. Yeah. So Lauren, the nanny, shows up to work at like 1130 in the morning. Yes. And this is when Ashley goes, right away, something feels off in this multi-million dollar home. And I'm like, what is this, I know. HGTV? I know. Ashley! You know that Ashley is like zillowing all of these houses before she talks about Which, them? to be fair, this yeah. is like an actual mansion. It's true. It's a Mick mansion, but it's a mansion. Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. And the thing is... Jennifer Suburban is missing from the garage. And the Range Rover was in the garage. And Jennifer had mentioned that she would be taking the Range Rover to New York City on that morning for her doctor's appointments. After taking the kids to school in the morning... Jennifer's not home, but certain odd details worry Lauren. She finds Jennifer's pocketbook. So she begins to wonder why is her pocketbook here and she's not here. These gas guzzling these I know. cars. Oh my 12 God. miles to the gallon is what these cars To be get. fair, I'm sure everyone's yelling at me. They have five kids. Like, I know they that, need the big true. cars. Like, yeah. I'm not that much of a jerk, but like, we also need the earth to raise all your kids on, everybody. You don't need to have five kids. If you want to, fine, but five kids. We're going to find out it was a rocky as hell marriage, too. Like, there's got, five there's kids. There's got to be a better car. I agree. Right? <laughs> than the gas guzzling. Anyway, but what's weird about the car situation is yeah. that Jennifer was planning on taking the Range Rover to New York City that morning for a bunch of doctor's appointments. Right. So it's weird that the Range Rover's in the garage. Yeah, it's all weird. Jennifer isn't there. Lauren's worried. So it's a half day at school for the kids. At noon, Lauren picks Jennifer's kids up from their half day of school. Jennifer had dropped the kids off at school at 8 a.m. That's her normal routine. And right as the kids were finishing up eating lunch, Lauren texted Jennifer several times. We learned that Jennifer had dropped the kids off at 8. So as of 8 a.m., everything was fine. And we also learned that, of course, her, as they say, pocketbook is still there. Every <laughs> Everyone calls it a pocketbook. I, wait, what do you call it? It's like her purse or her bag. Like, right. to me, like, it's pocketbook, <laughs> but I grew up with, like, oh, the pocketbook. Oh, get yeah. me my pocketbook. It's, oh, I can't find anything in this thing. Oh, the pocketbook. Wait, say the word L-A-U-N-T. Laundry. <laughs> 
<laughs> you guys, at every live show we did across the country in the last month, I asked her to say that. Say the word L-A-U-N-D. And I'm like, first of all, it's L-A-W. And it's laundry. Laundry. <laughs> but her pocketbook is still there. And when her... But I also love the way that you also pronounce pocketbook P-A-W. Pocket. Pocketbook. Absolutely. <laughs> At 1,000%. Oh, you're a unicorn. I love you so much. The point is, when someone's personal effects are left at home, we know this is a bad story. Not a good thing. So 12.43, the kids are at home finishing lunch. No one's heard from Jennifer. Lauren, the babysitter, has been texting Jennifer, also texting Jennifer's friends. Everyone is texting. And, like, Jennifer's just not getting back. And we meet Carrie Luft, who's, like, the best friend. Carrie. And she... Yeah, poor Carrie has, like, the weight of the world on her shoulders, this poor woman. I know. And she's like... Jennifer is the most reliable person I have ever known. It was so uncharacteristic for Jennifer not to pick up her phone or to, in any sort of timely fashion, respond to texts and calls that that was a, a huge alarm. This is very unlike Jennifer. Like, she is a very reliable person. She would definitely not leave us all in the lurch here. To which I said, girl, what would you say if they were asking you about, like, me? (laughs) He's not texting back. He's not getting in touch with people. Also, his place is a real mess. I'd be like, okay, well, the first part, though, the mess is fine. (laughs) The mess means that everything's okay. (laughs) But if you haven't heard back, that's the problem. Jennifer is not me who has my phone on silent all the time. Which is, so... that is the one weird thing about you is that like, I'm not guaranteed a text back right away when I text you sometimes. And you know that that doesn't mean I'm dead somewhere. That's true. My phone is always face down and I have my phone on silent. You gotta fix this. Why? Because we're worried about it. What if we need to be worried about have you? you? Have you ever been worried about me? No, I guess not. <laughs> I rest my case. <laughs> Finally, by 6.59 p.m., when no one's heard from Jennifer all day, Lauren reports her missing to the New Canaan police. Officers begin a thorough search of Jennifer's home. And they start looking for her 2017 black suburban. We're talking about a mother with five children. In one of the richest towns in the United States, you don't just up and vanish like this, especially when you have such a picture-perfect life. The cops start searching the home immediately. And I'm like, oh, I guess this is one of those time-space continuum things where, like, they don't have to wait however many hours. And I'm like, oh, is it It can't just be because she's a pretty white woman. Right, because we've got Ashley Banfield to tell us this is one of the richest towns in the United States. That multi-million dollar home, Ashley. (laughs) I feel like Ashley didn't quite get a mortgage cleared in this town, and she's a little upset about it. You know how you get drunk and watch fights on The View on YouTube? I just did that before you got here, in fact. Not not the drunk part. When you have a few minutes to yourself, that's like your moment of zen. The Megan McCain worst moments. Right. Yeah. Ashley goes on Zillow. Totally. For like new Canaan. Truly, yeah. <laughs> Street easy. Where it's like unlimited totally. amount. Like, have you ever, because I've done that before and it's yeah. like, here's this home in LA for $80 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So I'm like, what? I know. What? I know. $80 million. That's like a city. I, <laughs> what do you mean there's a house I, that I, it's I, all made of glass? It's like, what? I, first of all, if I'm paying $80 million, I don't want anyone to see me no. inside the home. Why are they only Always made of glass. So we got Jennifer's backstory. Jennifer grew up in Brooklyn Heights. Her dad was the youngest vice president of Chase Manhattan Bank. Jennifer's mom went on to get a doctorate in early childhood education. So she had some pretty smart and amazing parents and a very loving sister. Jennifer's upbringing was comfortable, but Jennifer has always been a very real and very accessible person. 
everyone wants to know, like, yes, she grew up rich, but Jennifer was still very nice. <laughs> and very accessible. Yeah, she, like, she wasn't one of those rich people. Totally. Those, like, New York City rich kids. I like, know. she wasn't one of those. Like the preppy murder kids. Ugh. So she went to Brown for undergrad. She played competitive squash. I really, like, took a minute and was like, what on earth is squash? Like? I feel like if I saw someone playing it, I'd be like, oh, isn't That's that squash? squash right? But if you asked me to describe <laughs> it, today of all days, I just, I can't. No. <laughs> is there a ball? So she goes to a writing program at NYU after completing college. This is where I said, oh my God, Diane Diamond is here. I we're said, almost. Oh boy, here she is, <laughs> Diane Diamond. I'm like, we're almost 10 minutes into this thing and I hadn't seen her. No Beth Karras as far as the eye can see. No, but Diane is here to say, all right, everyone, pull over. Because now we're going to meet some piece of shit. Yes. So Diane's like, in 2003, a chance encounter changes Jennifer Farber's life. At the Aspen, Colorado airport, of all places, she runs into an old classmate, a Greek-American man named Fotis Doulos. Diane says, a Greek-American named Fotis Doulos. And I'm like, Diane, calm down. I, Diane, settle down. But they both went to Brown. And here's what I'm like. So carry the friend, the weight of the world on her shoulders. Yeah. Immediately, she always hated Fotis because she always calls him an acquaintance. Yeah. <laughs> they end up getting married. Yeah. And he's the bad guy here. But carry the friend, like, wants it on the record that she's like, yeah, so Jennifer was, like, happy to see this new guy that she knew two times. They were an acquaintance. He was a bad guy. But it's also, like, the way that it's described is that, like, at the airport in Salt Lake City or whatever, they're like, do you want kids? Do you want kids? Yeah, we should definitely get married. It was like that fast. Yeah, so like we learned... Fotis had a attractive personality. He was kind. He was worldly. He came to the United States as an immigrant. He's from Greece. He didn't come from money. He dressed well. He was good looking. He had this sort of way about him that made you want to hang out with him. His divorce, His divorce lawyer, lawyer is here to be like, my client was super fucking hot. Everyone wanted to be around him. I, I highly doubt that. I Based on what I know. <laughs> I agree. I I would not want to have spent a moment with that man. Not a single second. Unless we're like at a pool and he's in a Speedo. In which case. <laughs> in which case the answer is still no. <laughs> so, you know, they went to Brown together. After Brown, he became a financial consultant. And yeah. Jennifer was thrilled to be back in touch. Before you know it, bada bing, bada boom. They have, quote, an opulent wedding in Manhattan in 2000. 2004, and then they get to work immediately on having five children. And, like, we're going to learn the marriage was, like, never great, but they just have kid after kid after kid. They were married for a total of 13 years, and they have five kids, which means I know. Jennifer was basically always pregnant. Right, right. That's crazy. Yeah. So, Fotis starts this real estate development business called The Four Group. It's a terrible name for any kind of business. It's a terrible name, but they basically build custom homes for rich people. So, he designed their yeah. gigantic mansion that Ashley's been zillowing all day. Which is, it looks like the Home Alone house in the middle of the woods. Right, but no, not like warm and homey. No. It's a McMansion version of the Home Alone house. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like the bricks are white. And if you have that, that's great, but right. you're not photos. <laughs> but also I said, five kids? Why? Right. Why five kids? That's so, like, oh uh, my God. I have one child and I honestly... <laughs> The way, speaking of the weight of the world I on know. your shoulders, you just went, I have one, one child. child. I can barely do that. It. I mean, maybe they all raise each other at some point. I don't know, but five kids. Well, at one point, they're all like single digit age. I no know. one's doing anything but I know. Jennifer. Oh my God. But here's where I start to ask, like, what happened in this marriage? Because they have their ups and downs, right? All couples do. But like a lot of couples, they eventually decide to split. Jennifer filed for a divorce rented a house in New Canaan and had sole physical custody of the children. 
POTUS had supervised visitations only with the children. Jennifer files for divorce yeah. and gets sole custody of all five kids. And let me tell you, we never get the answer. They yeah. never say he beat her. He beat the they kids. They sprinkle in a little bit of like how bad their marriage was, but not enough that like he has supervised visits and she has custody of all five kids. Like what happened? You guys, there? to get to the place where you have supervised visits, you have to really, really fuck up. Right? Like we should be afraid of this guy. In case you're wondering, he's the fucking murderer yeah. here. Like, yeah. but we don't have any, they don't tell us it's as though they never went and got a police record on the guy. Yeah, but we do hear some stories from friends, so we'll get there. So they've been separated for two years, and now Jennifer's missing. So the police search Jennifer's house in New Canaan. And in conducting that search, police entered the garage, and they found a scene that was very troubling. The New Canaan police see dark stains on the back fender and the side of a Range Rover that is parked there, also on a nearby garbage can. And of course, they are wondering, could this be blood? So they're kind of like, something fucking bad happened in this garage. Right. So they sweep the entire house and they're looking for DNA. Yeah. 12 hours after Jennifer was last seen, they find the big SUV that was missing from her garage. Yeah. It was only three miles from her house. Yeah. There's no sign of Jennifer in or around the car. Something's going on. I, this is where I made the note. I got to say, Ashley's running away with this episode. Diane barely has a chance. She I can know. barely get a word in edgewise with fucking Banfield. What do you think the most recent location searches on Zillow were for Ashley? I'm going to say Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Vegas. 902 Vegas. <laughs> can you imagine Ashley Banfield living in Vegas? That's the beauty of like midnight <laughs> Zillowing. Totally, totally. You can totally. kind of be like... What a, how much can I afford a house in <laughs> South Dakota? Is there a fancy section of Phoenix? Right, like what's, you know? <laughs> what's Arizona look like this time of year? <laughs> In uh, some place I've never been. What's that? Like do, Bangor? Like- so the place where they found Jennifer's SUV was in a park. When investigators locate Jennifer Farber Dulos' SUV three miles from her home, they wonder if they've also found the missing mom or her body. New Canaan officers quickly realized there is no sign of Jennifer in the car or anywhere near the suburban. So they quickly fanned out with search teams and canine units. And by sundown, they still hadn't found Jennifer or any evidence of her. They're like looking in the river. They're looking in the woods. And by sundown that night, they have not found Jennifer or any evidence of her. But by the end of that day, they call Fotis, a.k.a. her estranged husband. Thank you, Ashley, who lives (laughs) 70 miles away in a place called Farmington. So it's eight o'clock and the cops show up and they're like, hey, girl, what's going on? And he's like, weird, you would ask. I have no information. I haven't talked to her or any of the kids at any point today. By the way, I was here all day long. And in case you didn't know, it's 73 miles from where you found the car. Right. And the the cops are like... I know you don't seem worried, Fotis, right. <laughs> but we kind of are. <laughs> we also yeah. don't like you. We don't believe what your lawyer or anyone says. Like, they're in a room with this guy for two seconds, and they're like, I don't like him. Yeah. Supervised visitation, you say? You know what I mean? What happened? What happened? What happened? Oh, my God. And the thing is, even in this situation where the mom is missing and the five kids are without a parent, they still don't bring the kids to the dad. They bring the kids to Jennifer's mom yeah. in the city. Yeah. And she immediately is like, some shit is going down, and I'm filing, like, an immediate injunction. Right. 
you get temporary custody. And honestly, like, Fotis doesn't want to deal with five kids. I know. You I know, mean, like, in fairness, the, I don't want to deal right, with five kids. On the other side yeah. of it, like, he doesn't want the kids. So totally. fine. He's not fighting for them. It doesn't matter. And he probably didn't fight for custody. Like, we're right. assuming that it was yeah. this big drop. He probably was like, okay, bye. Bye. Like, what's the least amount I can do? Supervised visits? Wonderful. Oh so I don't have God. to do anything by myself. Uh-huh. You know? Totally. So Fotis is asked to go down to the station and talk to the cops. And he's like, absolutely. I'm bringing my lawyer with me. Exactly. However. Which, good, smart. Everyone I... should all never talk without a lawyer. That afternoon, Fotis Dulos follows through on his promise to come to the New Canaan police station, his attorney in tow. At which point, Fotis's lawyer uh, told the police that he wasn't going to be answering any questions. Let's not forget, this is the missing mother of his five kids. And although Fotis isn't really very cooperative with them, they don't have anything to hold him on. So they let him go home. The attorney is instantly like, yeah, she's not talking. Smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get mad at him for that. That's the right thing to do. It's just frustrating because you want, like, Brendan Dassey to have an attorney, not this guy. One thousand percent. Like, fuck the system. (laughs) God damn it. But again, I will scream it. Yeah. Always say the word lawyer. And never take the fucking polygraph. Just never take it. But here's what happened. So they let him go because they don't have anything on him. But they do take his phone. And they have to wait for a warrant before they can snoop through it. Yeah. But in the meantime, the cops are looking at, like, Jen's bank account, her credit cards, her phone log. There's been zero activity anywhere. Which is just, that is just a very bad news. Of course. You know? Of course. Also, one more thing about the grandparents having temporary custody of the kids. Yeah. Even if Fotis wanted to see them, they can't. He's not allowed to see them or have any contact with them at all. And again, I say, what happened in that marriage? What happened and why does that not make him a prime fucking suspect? This guy is so violent and abusive that he can't be around his own children. Why is he, like, walking a free man when his wife is missing? I have to say he's free for, like, 24 hours. That's true. This moves very, very quickly. This is when, like, the media picks it up, and we see this news report with Shepard Smith. Can we talk about the pancake makeup on this man's face? Uh, it's really bad. He's essentially in full drag. It's bad color, too. It's, right. You just look like you're wearing a pound of makeup. Yeah, it's not even, like, the same. It's not blended. Yeah. If you're going to wear like, you got to get the right Shepherd, shade. Shepard, get you your know? boyfriend to fix that. You know Seriously. he can. We see a lot of Shep Smith in this. I know. It's like two I or know. three clips, but he's the only talking head we get. And I'm like, again? I know. Shepard, all right. I know. Right. This is where we learn that there's, like, a massive wave of community support Everyone in the town is coming out looking for Jennifer. They're flyering. They're doing searches. It's just also sad. Nobody finds anything. But there's a big break in the case. Yeah. Because we get security video from a neighbor's house. So murderers, take note. If you live in a rich neighborhood and you're going to kill your spouse, can you just assume that your neighbors have the security camera? The fucking Chris Watts of it all. Yeah, this is 2019. Uh Uh-huh. But even now, like, everyone has that ring doorbell. Like, there are cameras everywhere now. You know where they especially are? By traffic lights. We'll get to that in a minute. And, like, (laughs) rich people towns where, like, houses are, like, acres away. I know. This is what I was saying at the top of the show, where it's like, thank God these murderers are so fucking stupid. Yes. Because, like, they're doing all this shit that's being captured on the neighbor cam. Right. So here's what we saw on neighbor cam. Yeah. It's a great name. Yeah, thank you. And that video spotted Jennifer coming home from dropping those kids off at school at 8.05 a.m. And they see nothing else, no movement of any vehicle until 10.25 a.m. When they see that vehicle backing out and driving off towards Waveney Park. They know whatever happened to Jennifer happened inside that house in that two hour and 20 minute window. 8.05 a.m., Jennifer comes back from dropping the kids off at school. Which I say is too early. Why do we put our kids in school so fucking early? And then if you're going to do that, then don't give them homework. A hundred percent. We solved it. It's way too early. We fixed it. 
Uh, can someone listen to us for once? We've solved a lot of things. I know. We have a lot of good bar it's ideas. <laughs> We're really working our asses off in this booth. So by 10.25 a.m., the same car backs out of the garage and drives off. They're saying to us, something happened to her in that garage. I don't really know how they're coming up with that, but they're like, essentially, we saw her come home and we saw the car leave and nobody else came or went in that intervening time. So whatever happened to Jennifer, wherever she was taken, yeah. happened inside the house that we didn't see it and she's likely in that car that we're watching drive away. Right. But not driving it. Right. So the search warrant finally comes through for the husband's phone. Which, like, could I please be the person? Can you imagine? You finally get the search warrant for this hot dirt bag. I want to be the one going through the phone. But they're not snooping because he's like a bad guy. Yeah. So they track the movements of the phone, you guys. It's almost comical. And he thinks he's being so I know. smart. I know. Oh, I want to punch him. I so know. they learn the phone was at his house the entire morning that Jennifer went missing. Yeah. And then it traveled to a house that he was working on because you know he's in real estate development in Farmington which is where he lives which is like 70 miles away from Jennifer right and then in the evening around 7 o'clock shortly thereafter the phone was on Albany Street in Hartford Connecticut moving along that street the records show the phone stopped many times along that stretch of road but why Every couple of minutes, the car was stopping. So if the assumption is that his phone would be with him all day, he couldn't have killed Jennifer because the phone was at his house all day. Right. And then he's just like, you know, taking a joyride or whatever at seven o'clock. Around Hartford. Okay. (laughs) Which I'm sure is great. But again. So put a pin in all of that. The cops now question Lauren, the babysitter. And she's the first one to say, even when Jennifer and Fotis were together, he was distant and he was always angry. To which I'm saying, why? We never get any background on why he was angry or what he was angry about. He was probably jealous of her and her family and her money. Uh-huh. Like, if he, like they made a point to say that he didn't come from money and he worked his way up, which is like, yeah. you should be proud of, of that. Course. Like, and money is so stupid anyway. Yeah. But like, you have this big booming business, I guess. Like, who cares? But like, sometimes men, not all men, but yeah. sometimes men <laughs> could be very like insecure uh-huh. and weird and annoying. And Jennifer was great and everyone loved her and he was a drip. So like, yeah, he was probably like jealous of her. Yeah. And so they start fighting all the time and then he starts spending a lot of time away from home. And according to the babysitter, Jennifer was like, loved it when he wasn't there. And we learn, like, this is really important to say. For years, she had been frightened of Fotis's temper, and she has subjected to incredible strain on a daily basis. Jennifer ended up a depressed shell of a person who people described as very lovely, but very sad. She's like, this is my life now, and I'm scared, and I don't like my husband, and I have all these kids. Like, what do I do? Oh, and by the way, Fotis got himself a gun! I know. I know. I know. He's like the poster child for the last person on Earth who should have a gun. So Jennifer's been scared of him for years. She learns he has a gun, and then she's like, okay, I need a safety plan for me and my kids. Which, obviously, 100% not blaming the victim. Like, of course, like, you're trapped. There's nothing you can do. But, like, can you imagine being that person? No. I mean, like, she has parents with means. I don't know if they could have helped her, but, like, when you're developing a safety plan for your kids, could you include yourself in that safety plan? I know. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't know what this plan is. Of course. I don't think it's finances. I think it's like actually, you yeah, know, like no. all the hor- horrible statistics about how many times it takes a woman to physically leave. Yes. Like it's so terrifying. And and also we know that that's when women are in the most danger of being murdered by the person they're leaving. Yeah. You know? So a little more information on the safety plan. Yeah. Please. A hundred percent. 
So by June 2017, they were married for 13 years and then they split up. Which I gotta say, like, I keep harping on this, but Steve and I have been together for 15 years. Sometimes it feels like a minute. Sometimes it feels like 100 years. 13 years isn't that long. And you had five kids in that time. And I I wonder if it wasn't just like, oh, we'll have one more kid. It'll be better. We'll have one more kid. It'll be better. Like, if Jennifer's just trying to fix it and save it. Like, it seems like you would know at some point before the fourth kid that things aren't great. You don't want to be with this guy for forever. So it's just like, what pressure was she putting on herself to make it work, you know? I know. And then, as if it wasn't bad enough, we learn that Fotis is cheating on her. Oh my God. He's cheating on Jennifer with this woman named Michelle Traconis. Who sucks! Sucks. They met in Miami where Fotis would travel for work and also to water ski. Fotis, please. (laughs) He would go on work and or water ski trips to Miami. Like, oh, I really got, it's like great water skiing season down in Miami. I was just like, water skiing is the thing that you do on vacation once. Who is like a, you know what I love to do? Water skiing. That you can also do in one of the many lakes they have (laughs) in Connecticut. I know, know, Fotis. Like, Fotis, what a lie. But then when Jennifer confronts him about this, rather than saying, I'm so sorry, or lying about it. What does he do? And this shows you his character. He had the nerve to say to her, I'm moving Michelle and her daughter into the home at Ford Jefferson Place in Farmington. So that they can all live together. Jennifer, the kids, Michelle, her daughter, and Fotis, all one big happy family. It's preposterous. Banfield is not having it. Like, what? I know. know. Ashley Banfield uses the word preposterous. It is? What is this, the fucking Brady Bunch? I know, The Partridge family? So Jennifer's like, that is it. That is it. So one day, Fotis comes home to an empty house. She took the kids, everything she had. She moved into the rental in New Canaan. And Carrie, the friend, says very simply, she was fleeing. She was fleeing. She grabbed all of her kids, a ton of shit, and and moved out. And it's like, how scary that must be to like finally be like, I'm going to wrangle all five fucking children do this on my own rather than living with the mistress and her daughter. Yeah. But now Fotis' asshole is like, what? She left me. He's yeah. like shocked and pissed. I'm like, you just moved your girlfriend and her daughter into your house. What are you, you have no, what? I know. And this is what everyone is saying. And it just seems like it was classic abuser, right? Even though you've got your own life, you still want to control that other person. He still wants to control Jennifer. He's never going to be happy. And remember, she doesn't go missing for two years. So it's two more fucking years of her dealing with this piece of shit guy. Him being angry and abusive and just like manipulative. Meanwhile, babysitter Lauren is like running to the police and she's like, in case I wasn't clear, something happened and he definitely did it. Yeah. And the cops are like, okay, great. Lauren's a hero. Yeah. Are you going, you're going with babysitter? I don't know. Okay, great. I'm using the rich people lingo. Okay. (laughs) So the cops want to know what the hell this guy was doing on Albany Avenue in Hartford. That night Jennifer went missing where he's just going up and down the same street making a bunch of stops. Yeah, he's like stopping like every 30 feet or whatever. And of course you might be thinking, stoplights, dummies. No, no. Right. No, no. You know what? That didn't even cross my mind. Because we have the footage from the cameras, everybody. So this is another thing I'm saying. Murderers, take note. Your neighbors probably have security cameras on the outside of their properties. That's number one. Yeah. Scott Peterson learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Chris Watts learned that the hard way. Good. Number two, your town probably has traffic light 
cameras. So if you're disposing of the shit you used to kill your wife, don't do it along the main street. Or any, how many times has Keith Morrison walked us through a scene where he's like, oh, you're on camera all the time. All the time. Smile. Like, you're fucking, we are, we are, remember that heartbreaking Pam Hupp episode where you can see her drive that guy? Yes. Everything is recorded, you fucking dummy. And I'll tell you what, when we get to the trial part of this, the prosecution reconstructed over 400 pages of like images of the car on the high. It's unreal. It's amazing. And it's like undeniable. It's right there. Yeah. So the footage from the camera is. And they find a black Ford Raptor pickup truck that is uh, registered to Photostulos' company on Albany Street at various uh, points. The video surveillance shows a person resembling the description of Fotis driving and the passenger resembling Michelle Traconis. And he's driving with Michelle, the girlfriend. And whatever. I'm never going to believe she didn't know. Anyway. She 1,000% knew. Yeah. So all of those stops, not stoplights, no. everyone, they were stopping at Thirty different locations and throwing bags out in different trash cans the entire way. And I gotta say, they didn't need to include this. One of our fucking talking heads, I hated this. He goes. So the million dollar question is, what, or should I say, who, is inside those garbage bags? Fuck off. Fuck off. And don't stop including that shit in the documentaries. Yeah. Like, stop. And also because by the time the documentary was made and this guy was interviewed, we know that there was no body parts in there. I know. So there was no reason to include that. Yeah, it's just to be like, bum, bum, bum. Exactly. Don't do that. Exactly. Don't do that. But guess what? They get some of those garbage bags. Yeah, the cops acted quickly enough that they- Right over to the left. (laughs) Off they go. And like, in the bags, they find- Some of Jennifer's clothing items, zip ties- duct tape and they find cleaning materials and uh, a sponge and a mop all those things with what appear to be blood stains and they're all completely fucking covered in blood and two pairs of black gloves yeah are you kidding me it's also just like i'm so glad he's so stupid and he didn't get away with this but even the dumbest murderer you're just gonna throw this shit away like the incriminating evidence away in a public trash can well they think oh, well it's all different ones and like but yeah it's, it's still the same room. route you know it's what all, i mean like it's, it's all the same traffic camera like, idiot you, you dummy i know and also now we have to talk about this stupid label from a unique old-timey bike which makes me crazy yeah it's very annoying really all you need to know we'll get back to it later but they find like a medallion from an old-timey french bike that like you can't just buy anywhere i'm like we get it they're rich i was definitely at that point where i was like i probably don't need to write that down but you know what it's such an annoying detail i'm sure it's gonna come back and it does so and the cops are like we don't know what this is about but it's weird so we're gonna keep it we're gonna hold on to it for a minute fotis isn't cooperating so they drag michelle the new girlfriend downtown to which i said He's not hired her lawyer. Like, what kind of piece of shit? He roped her into his own murder and then, like, refuses to go to the police but then lets her get dragged downtown? Yeah, throws her right under the bus uh-huh. and then also hops in the front seat and drives over her. So <laughs> she's like, I will absolutely tell you what I did that morning. Thank you oh so much God. for asking. This is, gets a little dirty. Michelle said that she was home with Fotis in the morning. They woke up. They were intimate in the shower. Later, she saw that Fotis was... At home, meeting with uh, Fotis's friend and attorney, Kent Mahoney. Can we just slow down on the fucked in the shower? Like, it's so fake. It's so, it is so fake. Not that people don't do it, but like, it's just such a gross detail to include. And I feel like the cop who told us this was like, experienced intimacy. I know, in like, shower. you guys, please. They had sex in the shower. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't. No, we'll find out later that didn't happen. So then, you know, by the time, you know, it was 
quick, I guess, because she's running errands by 9 a.m. Yeah, yeah. And then she didn't see him for the rest of the day. But later in the day, Fotis was meeting with his friend and lawyer, this guy named Kent. Yes. And then by 2 p.m., she's like, I didn't see him all day. But oh, but also at 2 o'clock, Fotis and I were cleaning a property that he owned in Farmington. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And then so basically, Fotis called her and said, Can you come over and help me clean this place up? Diane Diamond tells us that. And she goes, I would have said, Clean it your damn self. But also, like, you run this gigantic company. Yeah. If you're really cleaning houses for development or to show someone, you get people who, like, professionally know how to clean empty homes to, like, stage it for whatever. It's such bullshit. It's such a bullshit story. And Michelle, the girlfriend, says it was just the two of us cleaning the house from 2 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. that night. And that's our we are each other's alibi. But then she says, because, like, she's not doing him any favors either. Because she's like, then at 6.30, he asked me if we wanted to go to Starbucks in West Hartford. Michelle tells police, "Uh, look. He didn't stop at the Starbucks. He drove right past it. She says he starts stopping at all these garbage bins. Michelle claims she doesn't know what was in the bags, but she confirms it was them on the surveillance footage. You would think if she was on his side, she would have been like, we never did that or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Or had like a reason that they'd done it. Yeah. And Michelle's like, yeah, so then like, I didn't really ask any questions when he just starts throwing these garbage bags in different trash cans. She's like, I didn't know what was in the bags, but yeah, it was actually definitely us. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Because I'm surely like they did that thing that they do on Law & Order where they throw the pictures across the table and they all like, we know it was you. Right. Like we can see you explain to us what you're doing. And then like, we'll go through this part quickly, but the truck that POTUS, what is it? FOTUS. So this car that Fotis is driving, this, like, company car, is usually driven by a guy named Pavel. And basically, this guy Pavel had, a, like, a shitty red truck. And he would drive it to Fotis's house in the morning and leave it there and exchange it for the company car so he could drive that around all day. So people are like, Pavel, if you're usually driving that truck, but he's driving it, like, where's your truck? Right. And he's like, well, glad you asked. The next day, the next afternoon, he wants his truck back. But it isn't where he left it. Gumieni eventually finds his truck and Fotis and Michelle at the 80 Mountain Spring Road home. The point of this is to say that Fotis used Pavel's red shitty truck as part of the murder. We'll get back to that later. Right, because Pavel finds his car. Yeah. And it's at the house that Michelle and Fotis were cleaning. Right. And Michelle and Fotis are there being like, oh, Pavel. Right. <laughs> oh, you're early. <laughs> Don't mind us. We're just cleaning. Like, fo- yeah. uh, once again, we say, like, Fotis ever cleaned anything in his life. Right. And don't try to make sense of the cars in the time. Like, we'll explain right. all of it to you when we get there. But just know that there's this other Pavel guy and his truck is in the mix here. But what happens is Pavel's like, this is weird. Yeah. And then Fotis is like, oh, hey, Pavel. He, like, Pavel's like walking out the door. He's like, oh, hey, one more thing. Can you replace the seats in this car that is yours that we were driving around in all day? Just use the ones for my broken down Porsche. Don't worry. This is all totally normal and not weird. <laughs> Pavel, who's like the hero of the story, is like, hang on a second. You want me to take my seats out of my truck? Right. Replace them with these Porsche seats from your old broken down car and then like burn the seats that I just got rid of? And Fotis is like, that is correct. Right. If you wouldn't mind, that would be great. Yeah, and what's your problem? Why are you being weird, Well, Pavel? Pavel's like, no problem. Sure will, boss. Definitely will. <laughs> Paolo Gumieni became suspicious. He told the police that he had kept those seats and, and uh, he had turned those seats over to the police. He's like, these are going to be needed in a, a murder investigation. He I'm sure of it. Them he saved them in case. Them. Also, yeah. where do you like just like store car seats like Who that? Who knows? Like, two gigantic car seats. Can you just put Porsche seats in a truck? In a truck Probably car? not. Like, I, I can't imagine you could. And the whole point is that that car's so shitty that Pavel doesn't even drive it during the day. I feel like this just results in Pavel driving around on like a milk crate. Yes. <laughs> it's a shopping cart. Yeah, totally. <laughs> 
<laughs> he now drives a shopping cart. Poor Pavel. Pavel is like a real hero here. We don't even see a picture of him. I know. He's probably like, leave me out of this. So when Pavel gets word that all this shit, like Jennifer's missing, he goes to the cops and he's like, I, so my boss was acting real weird and he made me trade out my seats on the day that my car was missing. I saved the seats. Is this anything? <laughs> and they're like, it is also, is this anything? <laughs> and they show him this fancy bike logo because yeah. they're like, Pavel's a guy who remembers stuff and who kind of knows what's going on. Yeah. And he's like, oh my God, that is something. Yeah. Because apparently Pavel once fixed a bike from that company for Fotis that had that weird logo on it. And here's the whole thing, fam. These are all different modes of transportation we're going to find out that Fotis used to commit this murder. That's the only reason we're talking about a bike and a Porsche and a truck and a truck. Yeah. We'll get to how it all fits down the road. For something that's only 45 minutes, they really drag out stuff that could be a <laughs> lot know. more concise. And Diane? Look you at know, you. Diane washed your hands of this episode. She's like, it's on you, Banfield. Yeah, all right, Ashley. Step up. Right. You want the gig? Prove it. <laughs> so remember the security camera that was next to Jennifer's house where like we got that big break where they saw her leave for two hours and it's whatever? Essentially that camera is how we're putting this whole burner together. Yes. The cops go back to that footage because now they know they're looking for two things. Yes. Pavel's shitty car yep. and that stupid vintage bike. And guess what? They see both. They see both. So they know all of this is connected to photos, right? And they see someone on the bike. Like they see photos. <laughs> like It's not like the bike is just like there. No, right. And he's like yeah. riding the bike. Right. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> so the cops have all this evidence now, but Fotis still won't talk, so they bring Michelle back in. Michelle still doesn't have an attorney. She's still apparently singing like a canary. And she's like, oh, by the way, Fotis once did tell me that he wished his ex-wife Jennifer would just disappear. Is that anything? Yeah. Also, a couple things about that morning I told yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. We didn't have sex in the shower. We didn't do that. Uh, Can you actually, imagine the cop being like, then why did you tell me that? Because what she was, what the reason is, she was trying to prove that they saw each other. And she's uh-huh. like, we actually didn't see each other at all. Right. And we definitely didn't have sex in the shower. Yeah. I, you, who I did see, though, <laughs> was his lawyer. Yes. And I saw that Fotis's phone was left at home. She also remembered that while she was sitting in the office with Kent, the cell phone actually rang. Michelle Traconis, in her interview with the police, indicated that Mahani told her to answer the call. And the attorney's like, oh, girl, could you go ahead and answer that for me, please? What is happening is that Fotis is making it look like he was home. Because right. it's like he, they, he knew that they were going to look at the phone record. So right. he's trying to outsmart everyone and then throw Michelle under the bus. And his lawyer is complicit. Right, because he's making he's trying to make it look like he took a phone call at home that morning so he couldn't have been out murdering Jennifer. Yeah, and like, oh, my phone was at home all day. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, but... The thing that like these idiot murderers never think about is that like as soon as we figure out the thing that happened, we're going to know you're lying and that you definitely did this murder. Right. You know what I mean? Of course. And remember when Diane Diamond was saying, like, whatever happened to Michelle happened between 8.05 and 10.25? Yeah. That's when all of these phone calls with Fotis and the lawyer Michelle were happening. Right. So, come on. Where's this fucking attorney? This attorney who is facilitating I know. Michelle answering the call to give Fotis the alibi? Where's that guy? We'll get to him. Okay. <laughs> we see him. I know. He's not just... the divorce lawyer who thought that Fotis was charming. This is No, two, different, guy, different, different guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we learn that the stupid company he has, that dumb name, the Four Group or whatever, yeah. Deeply, deeply in debt. Also, it's a terrible name for a company. So if you remember, this is what makes people kill people is when they're deeply, deeply in debt. Right. And also, Fotis borrowed two and a half million dollars from Jennifer's father. And then I'm like, see, now here's where the resentment and the jealousy and all this shit comes in. Right. So we learn that he takes this two and a half million dollar loan from Jennifer's parents, which I'm like, amazing that they had that fucking money to loan him in cash in the first place. That's such a banker, too. Like, I know. I'll loan you the money. Right. Like, it's so official, with it. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. But we learn that when Jennifer's dad dies, Fotis stops paying that money back. And so Jennifer's mother files a civil lawsuit to get the money back. When all the loans that Fotis had were added up, he was in a $7 million hole. 
And maybe for Fotis, that seemed just too deep a hole to climb out of. He is in $7 million worth of debt. Yeah, he owes money all over town. And he, and then we also learn that his children have a trust fund to the tune of $2.5 million set up by Jennifer's parents. And everyone is saying he probably just assumed if Jennifer died, he'd get the kids and he'd be in charge of that $2.5 million and all of his problems would go away. Which... Everyone's saying that like it's fact, uh-huh. but my thoughts on this are like, two million is great, but it's not the seven million he needs. I mean, not even close. And does he really want the five kids? No. Right? Like, that doesn't solve all his problems. That, like, adds a bunch of problems. I mean, unless he's, like, Ponzi scheming this and he just needs more money to keep it going. You know I what guess, I mean? I guess, and he just, like, plans on being a shitty dad. I mean, oh my God, those poor fucking children. Like, any way you slice it, the kids are the big losers Yeah, here. But, like, I think it's, like, Ashley or Diane or someone is like, and then, like, he's on easy street. And I'm like, he's uh-huh. really not. No. Like, that solves nothing. Yeah. Two, I mean, can you imagine being $7 million in debt? Imagine thinking like, oh man, $2 million really isn't going to cut it. Like, <laughs> I, know, I, know. I just said the I words, know. $2 million I... is great, but it's not $7 million. Like, oh, what? Oh my God. So remember the, the Rod and Gun Club or whatever, not our bar that like no. hunting and fishing joint for <laughs> yeah, rich people? The place at the beginning where it had that like shallow grave, even though shallow graves are not to be found in this area. The hunter says he later overheard another member talking about Jennifer going missing and that a former member had some connection to her disappearance. Kent Mawinney, Fotis's lawyer. Kent, the lawyer who told Michelle, the girlfriend, to answer the phone. The lawyer is connected to the Rod and Gun Club where they the cops found the shallow grave. I mean, it's the kind of thing where they're just saying that, like, this attorney is complicit in the getting rid of the wife right. for the $2.5 million that isn't even nearly enough anyway. So now the cops are like, shit, guess we're going to Kent's house. Yeah. Off they go to Kent's house. <laughs> he denies everything, of yeah. course. But finally, in the middle of all this, all the forensics comes back. Because remember, they tested all the trash bags that they found? Yeah. The blood on the clothes in the bags is Jennifer's. And there's this really, like, sad point that is made in this forensics report that just said, whatever would have happened to generate this amount of blood that we found in these trash bags would have been some sort of, like, injury that would not have been survivable. So it's all Jennifer's blood, and it's too much for her to have lived. Yeah. So, like, it's proof that Jennifer's dead. The family had been holding out some hope that maybe she would be alive, but, like, she's definitely not. And it's so sad because... There's no body, right? So they don't know where Jennifer is and there's no kind of like closure for her friends and family. Yeah. So by January 7th, 2020, the cops make a few arrests. Despite the lack of a body, on January 7th, 2020, Connecticut police make simultaneous arrests. Photos Doulos, who is charged with murder, felony murder, and kidnapping with the court set bond of $6 million. They charge him with murder, felony murder, kidnapping, and they give him a bond of $6 million. Now, this piece of shit who didn't have two nickels to rub together takes him a couple days, but he's able to, like, raise the $6 million to get out on bond. That, I was like, wait, what? You could have done that the whole time? I know. But then maybe money isn't a motive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I think he's just a piece of shit. So they also arrest that attorney, Kent, and, and that dummy girlfriend, Michelle, and they're both charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Get this. Michelle raises her bond. She gets out. The fucking attorney can't raise the bail. He's stuck in prison. The last thing you want is your shady attorney in a position to make a deal. Of course. You know what I mean? Think ahead. I I mean, I'm so glad you didn't. Like, my thesis for this whole episode is I'm so glad these murderers are so fucking stupid. I mean, but again, like, you, you could just, like, 
get $6 million in a couple of days? Where did it come from? I know. I know. So the prosecutors come up with a timeline and they lay it out in over 400 pages of legal documents. And I don't, like, we're obviously we're not going to get into it, but like, we see some of these pages. They are tracking his truck on the highway in real time. It's amazing to see what they did. And then the the jurors have to sit through video photos on that stupid vintage bike. Yeah. (laughs) Uh. So early in the morning, on the morning of the murder, we see Fotis in Pavel's red truck. And he's leaving his home, heading to New Canaan. He parks that red truck in the park where they eventually find Jennifer's SUV. And this is where Fotis's 10-speed French bike now comes into play. Video shows Fotis riding the bike toward the house just before Jennifer got home from dropping the kids off at school. And this is likely the last time we ever see Jennifer alive. He's there at 7.30. Jennifer leaves at like 7.40 to take the kids to school. After she's gone, he hides in the garage. He's waiting for her. He's waiting it's for so, her. It's so, so scary. And then he traps her Because she garage. doesn't know he's in the garage. So she not. pulls in, closes the garage door, gets out of the car, and there he is. And Ugh. she's trapped. There's Ugh. nowhere for her to go. That's so, uh, that's so scary. I know. So then he did horrible things and tied her up with the zip ties that they found in the bag. And nobody really knows what happens, but they yeah. say it's like really violent. He either killed her right there in the garage or didn't like zip tied her up and then killed her later like what on earth but all we know for sure is that Fotis's DNA was mixed with her blood yeah. so like he definitely 1000 it's not one of those things where it's like yeah but maybe he didn't like right. we don't there's no proof that he like there's blood anywhere no right. there was like his DNA is all over the place and that journalist who's like I wonder what's in those who's in those trash bags he goes that is a huge smoking gun that's a cannon that's a huge smoking gun. Huge with a Y. <laughs> And so Fotis finally has a bond hearing, right? He doesn't show up. Yeah. And when the cops go to get him, he's dead. He did that thing with the exhaust in the garage with the carbon monoxide poisoning. And like, so he fucking kills himself. Fine. Bye. But the thing that like is so enraging to everyone, like if you really think about this, he killed their kid's Mm -hmm. mother. Then he killed their kid's father. And he also like took his own life before he told anybody where her body is. He's such a piece of shit. I mean, and like that probably never crossed his mind. I know. He wasn't thinking about anybody else, I assure you. These five children now being raised by their grandparents will never have proper closure over where their mom is. And they're saying that, like, the attorney and that horrible woman, Michelle, probably know more, probably at least have some idea where Mm -hmm. Jennifer's body would be, but, like, have never talked. So they drop the charges against Fotis because he's dead. Which is a thing I will never understand. Like, can't you just, like, let the court date come and go and he didn't show up so he's fucking convicted? I do not understand this dropping the charges against dead people. I don't get it. If we could give Heath Ledger a posthumous Oscar which he deserved <laughs> why can't we do a bad thing you know like why know. can't someone still be charged like he still did it he still did it it's not like him dying means that he didn't exist or like it's just right. so like it's so especially disrespectful in a case like this where it's so clear that he did it right you know what I mean and they're like oh no guess we can't no 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 wait I don't understand because in 200 years when somebody like googs this guy I wanted to come up convicted fucking murderer a thousand percent you know uh, but guess what what Michelle the girlfriend and Kent the lawyer are yeah. still on the hook So they are charged with conspiracy to commit murder. But the thing is, like, we need Michelle and Kent to talk. Yes. And Michelle Traconis is a mother herself. For that matter, she should be telling investigators everything that she knows. And for the sake of those five kids, I really hope she does. 
Michelle, you're a mother girl. Like, uh-huh. step out, do the right thing. Again, you don't have to be a mother to know that these right. kids need to, like, right. have closure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. like, they have to talk one of these days, or Ashley's going to lose it. Oh, she's very <laughs> upset at the end. She's like, they she is, they're, and- they're all we have. <laughs> We're relying on these two pieces of shit. I know. For just as God. Uh. Oh, girl, we did Vanished in New Canaan. It's so sad. Yeah. And they ask at the end if you have any information on yeah. this at all, please call 203-594-3544. Because somebody's got to know something, right? Somebody's got to know. Fam, just a couple of reminders before we go. Julian's new podcast, Let the Women Do the Work. Every week, it's so great. Thank we're, you so much. We're coming to the end. We only got a few left. I know. We're like at the halfway mark already. It's crazy. Yeah. We've, been, we've also been working on it for so long. Like a all year. All of us. So for it to be like almost over, I'm like, oh my God, that yes. feels like nothing. Like you were just saying, five minutes or 10 years. Yeah. Also, come see me on tour with Lance and Tim and Maggie. We're doing the Disappearance of Maura Murray, the oxygen docs that we yes, did forever ago. the six-parter. It's a great night out, fam. Jillian won't be there. You'll yeah. be there in spirit. Go see my friends. If you want to make me happy, go see my friends. It's such a fun night, and you get all the updates of the case. It's really fun. There's so many moments that just will make you laugh out loud, but you also learn a lot, too. Yes. We also have a great call to action about how you can support the Murray family. That's really important yep. to us. Join our Patreon. Yes. So we have ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah. And then that's where we do, like, the long-form stuff. You know, like. Yep. Ani, Honeymoon Murder, which we're wrapping up. Wild Crime, which we're getting into. Puppet Master. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, The Jinx, The Staircase. I'm watching, Because of your husband, Mike, I'm watching the HBO version. I'm obsessed. I said I liked it too, but give Mike the credit. It's fine. <laughs> Serial Season 1, yes, Lacey yes. Peterson Doc, The Menendez Murders. So many things over there on the Patreon and our merch store. If you want to get some TCO merch, especially for Pride coming up, we got TCO Pride merch. Go check it out. What are we doing next, girl? Oh, you're going to love this. What is it? The Lost Leonardo. Oh! It's another art fraud. Yeah, it's another art fraud where like, oh, look, here's this missing Leonardo painting that no one knew was missing, but it's totally real. It's that kind of vibe. I would totally. Here's my $800 million. I would fall for it. You're not that far off from what really happened. All right, well, stay tuned for the trailer for that and our ridiculous and hilarious outtakes. Okay. And we love you. We love you. Thanks so much. All right, bye. Bye. There are only about 15 Leonardos known. To say I have found a picture like this is just so far-fetched. You're just going to look like a fool. This is the most improbable story that has ever happened in the art market. It's not even a good painting. So I find this painting that's cataloged as after Leonardo. The lost Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world. For whatever reason, this picture attracts my attention. And we decided to buy it. Painting was very damaged and I removed some retouching. My hands are shaking. No one could have painted this except Leonardo. The joke was that that was a contemporary painting because 90% of it was painted during the restoration. Something's fishy here. But that's ridiculous. We have extensive technical analysis of the picture, infrared, new x-radiography. It's been authenticated. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> 240 million. 300 million. 400 million. This is the most expensive painting ever sold in the history of the art world. Where the hell is that painting? Nobody knows where it is. What's your dream? Like, what's your dream vacation situation? I don't even know what that is. I've never had it. But this weekend, I get to hang out with three dogs. I'm going to meet my parents' new dog that they adopted. Pete is still here, so maybe that'll be it. But they'll probably drive me all crazy, too. I don't know. When I I finally find the, like, perfect way to relax, I'll let you know. 
But also, I kept writing Flotus. Oh. You know what I mean? No. Okay. He, he's bad. <laughs> he's bad. She's, yeah. she's great. I would like to timestamp that. I said she's great referring to Flotus in the year 2022. It's May 24th at 4.47 p.m. <laughs> Anything that happens after that, no. we cannot be held But also, any for first does. lady before or after that is not who I'm referring to. Michelle. She's great. We, we don't have time for this. We don't to go time. to pick and choose. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Dolly yeah. Madison. Yeah. Thoughts on Dolly Madison? <laughs> Abigail Lincoln? <laughs> Abigail Adams. I don't, Mary Todd. Mary Todd, I always do that. <laughs> you and your fucking private school high school education, don't you dare. What? With your naming all of the first ladies. I know that because my husband's a history nerd. That's the only reason. And like episodes of Drunk History, I don't promise know. you, I was in. I was not in AP anything. My, my educational track record is... <laughs> Splotchy. Okay, great. It's squash. 